Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. A very busy week, as always. We're just a few weeks away from the election and a lot of issues out there about transparency, issues that we've been raising that the president is bringing added and important attention to. He's ordered the release of documents I'll talk to you about. Plus, we have new documents we uncovered showing about uh, further detailing Obama. State Department machinations against President Trump. We have new lawsuits to enforce the rule of law against outrageous quotas in California. Plus, we're trying to clean up the rolls in Colorado, a big lawsuit there. And plus, I got a great new uh, piece of personal news to convey to you that I think you'll all be excited about. Uh, but first up is the ongoing controversy around Obamagate. It's the worst corruption scandal in American history. Uh, and the liberal media is desperate to cover it up. The deep state has been desperate to cover it up. But, but the president is tired of the cover-ups. He uh, tweeted this week that he has authorized the declassification of the Obamagate documents, the Russia scandal documents. And he also said he wants the material on the Hillary Clinton emails out as well. And obviously, we've been pushing uh, the administration on that, and we're grateful to see that. Uh, on top of that, we've got the Justice Department currently defending Hillary Clinton in court. In my view, the president needs to fix that. It's just been released uh, just as I speak. Uh, Secretary Pompeo said he's going to be looking at Clinton emails and releasing them soon. So this is all thanks in large measure to Judicial Watch and a few others uh, keeping information about the lack of information in the, uh, in the public um, uh, discussion. And on top of that, we have some key transparency moves by the president's team, namely John Ratcliffe, who's further confirmed by releasing notes uh, by John Brennan detailing that Barack Obama was briefed on uh, the uh, intelligence they had that Hillary Clinton was uh, coming up with these Russia smears in order to distract the American people from his email, her emails. We talk about just a smoking gun. I mean, they, they had information that the Russians knew, that Hillary Clinton knew it was all a scam. They uh, briefed the president. And matter of fact, they even told the FBI that they needed to investigate it. The CIA did. And it looks like even the CIA was involved in targeting Trump back then, which might have been a violation of law as well. And uh, so rather than act on that, what did they do? They actually worked with someone they knew was likely to be part of this Russia, uh, a Russia disinformation scheme, uh, a, a, someone they thought was a Russian spy who was working for Hillary. So rather than investigate Hillary, they actually worked with her to try to take out Trump. It began in the administration of Barack Obama. It continued into the administration of Donald Trump, and it's been covered up till just now. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of waiting for Durham. It's being reported today that uh, General Barr is telling folks there'll be no Durham report. Certainly there'll be no prosecutions before the election. And uh, I've been telling you that for some time that I didn't expect there to be prosecutions. I don't think there's gonna be prosecutions after the election. 
all this new revelations, it ought not to be new to Durham if he's doing his job. All of this should have been known almost immediately upon his appointment in April of 2019. Just think about that. April of 2019. And we've had one plea deal that's partly bungled and no other evidence that there's been a serious look-see of any of the principles involved. In fact, Attorney General Barr went out of his way to say that um, it's unlikely that he'd be doing anything with Biden or Obama, which evidently includes not even questioning them despite all the evidence of their personal involvement in the misdeeds targeting Trump. And I say misdeeds, I, you know, I was telling a reporter earlier that I'm basically a nice guy. So uh, misdeeds is, is the charitable way of putting it. It was a criminal conspiracy, a seditious criminal conspiracy without comparison in American history, without compare. And uh, the fact that they haven't been questioned about it, that Clinton hasn't been questioned about it. And I know you say, well, maybe they were questioned about it. Maybe it was done in a secret. Well, I doubt that's the case. Nothing in my experience in 20 plus years at Judicial Watch tells me they question officials like that in secret. I take Barrett's word that they weren't targeting them or not even questioning them. So if I were the president, this is what I do. I do what he's doing this week, order full transparency. Don't wait on Durham anymore and also separately appoint a special counsel. Now that, you know, that may be for no good, you know, for, for no effective purpose if he loses the election, but appoint him now or her. I don't know. Maybe Sidney Powell should be special counsel aside from the, not inside the Justice Department, separate and apart from the Justice Department, separate and apart from the FBI, the CIA, the State Department, the NSA, the Defense Department, all those agencies that conspired against the president. As I said, a malicious, seditious conspiracy. There's new Flynn information coming out that the top echelons of the FBI all knew they had nothing on Flynn. All knew they had nothing on Flynn. They were saying, well, how can we prosecute him for lying about something that was underlying uh, that, that uh, on, on a topic for which there was no criminal issue. So the meeting he had with Kislyak or the phone calls he had with Kislyak, the Russian ambassador were proper and appropriate. And they knew that. And they were accusing him of lying about the meetings when in fact he didn't lie about the meetings as the evidence otherwise shows. And they talked about the Logan Act being an uphill battle that's never been used before. Who raised the Logan Act, by the way, the note show separately? Joe Biden. I mean, just think about this. Clinton set up this Russia smear, as I've always said, to cover up her misconduct and distract from uh, uh, any, to, to make sure that there'd be no effective follow-up on the, for the consequences of her potentially criminal misdeeds. And then once President Trump started raising questions about Biden corruption, which is significant, the Burisma China angles, they tried to impeach him. I mean, this is how desperate they are to avoid the uh, prosecutions. They will blow up our country, blow up our constitutional system. By, by falsely accusing a sitting president of misconduct, trying to put him in jail, knowing it's all false, because that was the goal. The end goal wasn't just to remove him from office. They were hoping to put him in jail. Just like they were trying to do the Flynn.
all to protect Clinton and then Biden. And of course, Obama knew it all too. So it's a the iron triangle of criminality in my view. And I don't say this because I don't want to vote for Trump, Biden or whatever. It's like, this is evidence. There's criminal, ev there's evidence of a massive criminal conspiracy against our constitutional republic. And the Justice Department has done nothing about it, practically speaking. And to the degree anything's happening, it's because of independent groups like Judicial Watch, a few congressmen here and there, a reporter here and there like John Solomon. It's not even the leadership of the House or the Senate. I mean, the Republican side that's pushing this. It's just the member here or there, Senator Johnson or Chuck Grassley, kind of doing it on their own. It's like a ragtag group of patriots out there trying to get the information out for the American people. With zero help and, frankly, opposition and obstruction from the FBI and uh, the Justice Department. Of course, they're one and the same, practically speaking. Dirty little secret, Ray works for Barr. So all the obstruction that Ray's engaged in, Barr can overrule, he can, he can get it all done. So let's hope the president's transparency initiative goes forward. Let's hope we get more information out. And I think the president should have said, take that next step. It's not perfect. It, you know, we're not going to get justice quickly here, it's clear. Durham and the DOJ has been blowing smoke in our collective ear for 15, 16, 18 months. And what fools we have been for listening to them. Now, of course, I never really believed it, but I'm just, you know, just just highlighting the general issue out there that that they've been trying to keep those of us concerned about this corruption saying, oh, something big's coming, something's big coming, making it clear, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And look, it's not coming. What a fail, what a fail. I mean, they've been trying to play us for fools and, and you know, I've, I've never bought into it. My colleagues have never bought into it. That's why we've got 70 plus lawsuits on the issues that we're talking about. So, uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, next up, uh, you know, we just don't slow down. We have, uh, 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 new revelations, which kind of prove my point about the lack of transparency because they're many ways a day late and a dollar short. But these are new revelations from the State Department that are, that's breaking as we speak. The headline is Judicial Watch obtains emails revealing Obama State Department officials and U.S. ambassadors skeptical, skeptical about Christopher Steele reports. Now, Christopher Steele, who is the Clinton spy, had a big in with the State Department. He was providing them with all sorts of, quote, intelligence reports through his company, Orbis. And uh, as it came up in 2016, he and another State Department, uh, he and a State Department official, Jonathan Weiner, worked closely together, and Weiner worked with other Clinton operatives on this as well, to create uh, aspects of the dossier that were used to try to target Trump. So uh, Victoria Newland, who was, I think, Weiner's supervisor in the Obama State Department, was also in on this corruption. And uh, so uh, we've been uncovering all of the communications between Steele and this group uh, for, um, uh, I guess, the better part of two years now uh, in partnership with our um, co-plaintiffs in this FOIA lawsuit, the Daily, Daily Caller News Foundation. And, the Daily, and we just have new documents that show the reports are being sent around. And a few of them, they thought, well, this is credible, useful as thanks as always. But later the emails showed that they thought they were flaky, the reports. 
Someone Newland says, this is one of these, those industry intel reports. Rings a bit extreme to me, you guys. And the report was on uh, the Ukraine issues. There's another one. Some of this rings true, some not. Again, more about um, Ukraine. Another one, uh, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine at the time writes about one of, uh, again, Steele's Ukraine reports. So I put this in the same category as the other, as their, as their other flaky reports. So our ambassador to Ukraine thought that Steele's reports were flaky. One thought it was extreme, the Newland and uh, thought uh, some of it never rung true. None of this made it into the court filings when they said that Steele is a, is a good source, right? And it didn't prevent the State Department in late 2016 from working with this kook, because it is kooky. Either it's kooky or dishonest or both, but they all knew it was uh, that Steele uh, had flaky reports, and yet they, work with him to take out Trump, because that's what the documents show. I mean, they were so desperate. We found previously that Jonathan Weiner, who admitted to working on this, with Steele on this issue, he talked to the Russian ambassador, excuse me, the Russian political officer in the embassy. I mean, talk about conspiracy and collusion a month before the election, the inauguration of President Trump. So as I said in the uh, statement, with the lawsuit that, or excuse me, with the release today, Christopher Steele had a willing partner with the Obama State Department, despite top officials having little confidence in his work. These documents demonstrate the Obama administration had multiple warnings that Steele was unreliable, yet they used his garbage dossier to target Trump. And of course, the court was never told about the fact that his reports were considered flaky, yet they pushed it with the FBI, and of course, the FBI ran with it. And again, this is coming out not because of voluntary disclosures by the agencies, the State Department specifically, it's because of litigation. And it's litigation that I, let's see when we filed, first started asking for these documents. We had fourth of April, 2018. Two and a half years ago. How do you like them apples? Two and a half years ago to get this basic information out. And it just turns out, it turns out that one of the officials here at Weiner, as I've been talking about, he admitted to destroying some of the reports that Steele was providing. So what is the State Department doing about the records that were destroyed? It's Clinton Redux, isn't it? It's just unbelievable. So, um, we're going to keep on pushing, uh, but uh, it just shows you that I don't know what, where we'd be without Judicial Watch. I really don't know where we'd be. So uh, we're going to keep on working hard on this issue. Uh, but there's more coming. And uh, thankfully, the president, I think, is going to be chiefly responsible in the end for getting the more that is coming with Judicial Watch's help, because we're just asking that the FOIAs be followed and the law be followed. Imagine that, the president wanting to follow the law on transparency.
the leftist media is outraged. I mean, it shows you how dishonest they are. So we've got a big election coming up. Uh, you may have noticed. And Judicial Watch has been gravely concerned about the uh, accuracy of the voting rolls. And why are we concerned? Because we look at the numbers. We look at the census data. We look at what the states are doing. And we found in multiple states, specifically more recently, North Carolina and Pennsylvania, that they're not taking the steps necessary under law to make sure the rolls are clean. And it looks like there may be upwards of 2 million names in those two states alone uh, uh, on the rolls that shouldn't be there. And so when you're mailing ballots, accepting ballot applications or mailing ballot applications, obviously that is a, um, a combustible mixture for voter fraud when you're mailing dirty lists. Because dirty election rolls can mean dirty elections. Now, again, I'm warning that I'm not sure uh, whether the, uh, the big tech companies are going to allow this video to appear because they're now suppressing information about the risk of voter fraud associated with mail because they want to help Joe Biden. There's no legitimate reason for doing it other than political. So what I'm saying is quite factual. 534,000 at least ballots were thrown out in the primaries that were mailed. In 2016, 319,000 ballots were thrown out in the general election. So imagine what the general election numbers are going to be this year. And what does the left want to do? They just want to count the ballots no matter when they get there, practically speaking. That's why they want to count ballots that arrive after election day. Now, the left is telling you, oh, well, that's fine. That's normal. It ain't normal. The idea that you would count ballots that are not there by election day is the very opposite of election integrity. The very opposite of it. Talk about inducing voter fraud. Now we're seeing story after story about these mails that the, the, the tsunami of ballots are just washing ballots ashore all over the country in improper ways. People getting ballots that they don't don't belong to them. Dead people getting ballots, all of which we predicted was going to be happening. And all of which are opportunities for voter fraud because where the honest people are saying, hey, look what we found here. But you can bet there are people who say, oh, well, look, I got eight ballots. I'm going to vote in their name. Oh, but then they, oh, don't worry, there's a signature verification. Oh, yeah, that like that will work. It's better than nothing. Of course, the left wants to eliminate signature verifications as well in many places. Some states have a witness that you need to, uh, uh, there should be a witness to uh, have you um, when you sign your absentee ballot. They wanted to eliminate that. And as I said, they want to count ballots that arrive after election day. In some cases, you had courts saying postmark or not. I think that case, that, that was overturned. But in California, it's the law of the land in California that they will be counting ballots 17 days after election day. <gasps> and so complaints about that are going to be suppressed by big tech. So what Judicial Watch has done is that we're trying to do our part by trying to sue to clean up the rolls. And specifically, we just sued in Colorado to force the cleanup of election rolls there. Colorado leads the nation in the percentage of counties with more than 100% of the eligible voters registered to vote. What does that mean? They got more people on the rolls than are living there and eligible to vote. That's a pretty good indication they're not taking the necessary steps to clean up the rolls. In its lawsuit, Colorado, against Colorado, Judicial Watch argues, 
that a 2019 study shows that 40 of Colorado's 64 counties had the voter registration rates exceeding 100% of the eligible citizens voting age population. That share of the counties with those high registration rates was the highest in the nation. And then what we did was we updated the numbers. We looked at what, what are the numbers now? A study from last month, which we looked at, showed that as many as 39 Colorado counties had registration rates exceeding 100,000 at any one time during the relevant reporting period. So things haven't gotten much better. So it went from 40 counties to 39 counties. In eight Colorado counties, more than one in six registrations belong to an inactive voter. And as we say in the lawsuit, registration rates over 100%, poor processing of out-of-date registrations, and high levels of inactive registrations, quote, indicate an ongoing systemic. See, this is systemic. That's the right use of the word problem with Colorado's voter list maintenance efforts. It undermines confidence in the integrity of the electoral process, discourages participation. I mean, if you think your votes aren't going to count, you may not, part, you may not participate. And certainly it will raise the fear that your votes won't count generally. So this is another big lawsuit. Is it going to result in names being erased immediately? I don't know. Maybe they'll start taking some dead people off the rolls, at least given the numbers that we've been putting out there. But boy, oh boy, there's a lot to be done. And uh, we see that the left is not slowing down. They've had over 200 lawsuits to try to undermine, in my view, election integrity. And the fight will continue because as um, I was, uh, as, uh, talking to a reporter earlier, so I'll share you, <laughs> I might as well let you know what I'm telling some reporters because you might be interested sometimes the reporters don't actually convey what I tell them, is that, you know, the litigation has been hypothetical in the sense they want, this is how they want the process to work. But once election day happens, then it won't be hypothetical. And they'll be fighting, the other side will be, uh, and I mean the left, to start counting ballots that are getting there late and that are otherwise would not be counted under the rules. And that's when the battle gets really heated. And as I've, and as I've described to you, and we have a new special report that I want you to look at about the left's uh, ongoing plans to uh, use intimidation and violence and constitutional disruption uh, in, the, in, in uh, the aftermath of the election. I've discussed these plans before. They're not gonna just challenge it in court. They're gonna try to push it into Congress if necessary to overthrow President Trump if he's seen to have won. I know the president said, you know, is constantly being asked, is he, will he move peacefully, leave off? Of course, he's going to leave office peacefully if he loses. The question is, who decides who he, how he loses and who, who decides he loses? Is it a lawful process? Is it, is it a process that we can be assured is not marked by fraud? Or is it just going to be a power play that ends up in Congress for Congress decides? And in that case, it's gonna be a close thing where we could have acting President Nancy Pelosi of Congress even can't decide one way or another. You know, that's part of the law, it's part of the constitution, but I, my guess is you want your vote to decide who's the president. 
and you don't want the machinations and threats and intimidation and the air of violence deciding who's the president. And that's what I'm concerned about. So we're going to keep on pushing and, um, you know, we're going to have more information about uh, soon about how you can contact us about your concerns about what you're seeing in the polls, what you're seeing in the electoral process. And hopefully we can follow up on some of what you're reporting to us. So, uh, so we're going to be busy. We're going to do our best. We're going to do is what we're able to do because Justice Department is AWOL on this again. So, uh, and the left has all sorts of groups doing stuff like this and Judicial Watch and just a few others are on our side trying to preserve election integrity. Oh, so what else is next? Oh, so this is, I got a wrist issue. I broke my wrist a few years ago and it's really, I've been ignoring it and I tweaked it again. So this is why I'm wearing the brace. Nothing major. Um, oh, this is another big deal. I, I really love Judicial Watch, and I, I know I'm the president of Judicial Watch, so I guess I should love it. But as a citizen, and, a, and I like to think a patriot, I love Judicial Watch because we just do great work on issues that otherwise would not be pursued related to the rule of law. And in California, they had passed a quota mandate for certain uh, corporations, publicly held corporations based in California, that required quotas uh, for the boards of the directors for uh, making sure that certain numbers of women were on the board of directors. Blatantly unconstitutional, blatantly unconstitutional. In fact, they admitted it was blatantly unconstitutional in, in, the, in the analysis. And I think, I think Governor Brown at the time admitted, well, you know, this may be a problem, but I'm gonna sign it anyway. That, that's the way the left operates. Let's see what they, well, maybe we can just get away with it. So Judicial Watch sued the government tried to come in and shut it down, this California state, and uh, uh, we sued them. It's a taxpayer lawsuit, meaning that we're trying to stop on behalf of taxpayers, taxpayer money from being used to implement and enforce and otherwise promote this um, illicit, unconstitutional, discriminatory quota mandate. So that case was proceeding. And then what happened? They doubled down. California then passed the leftist politicians, another quota bill that expanded the requirements that they have to satisfy racial, ethnic, sexual preference, and transgender status quotas by the end of the 2021 calendar year. And in that, an analysis of the Senate bill, the Senate floor analysis in the California state legislature says the bill draws distinctions based on race and ethnicity, and therefore it is, quote, suspect. And that the existence of a general societal, societal, societal discrimination will not ordinarily satisfy courts. So just saying, oh, well, generally out there, there's discrimination. And I question whether there is discrimination as being alleged here. Therefore, we can require quotas, which treats people according to their race and gives unequal treatment under the law, according to race and other improper categories of information, uh, categories of uh, uh, demographic categories, I think is the best way to put it. So the law AB 979 requires publicly held corporations to have a minimum, of, this is, the, I, here's the detail, it will drive you crazy. Publicly held, publicly held uh, corporations must have a minimum of one 
director from an underrepresented community on its board by the end of 2021, and up to three underrepresented community board members by the end of 2022. And of course, it, it identifies uh, these underrepresented communities as people who, quote, self-identify, which just, you know, that makes your head spin, doesn't it? Self-identify. So could you have a male self-identifying as a female to become a woman board member or a, dare I say it, a white person self-identifying as a black person or a um, Hispanic self-identifying as, uh, or, or excuse me, as a white person self-identifying as a Hispanic, would that work? I don't even know how that would be enforced. It's just, it's so crazed in its uh, requirements. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's a reason why these laws don't work because not only they are unconstitutional, but they make no sense intellectually or ethically. So these are the individuals who would be mandated, the groups, Black, African-American. So that's weird because you may think all African-Americans are Black, but evidently that's not the case. I know technically it's not the case, but this is California. Hispanic, Latino, Asian, Pacific Islander, Native American, Native Hawaiian, or Alaska Native, or who self-identifies as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. So, you know, I'm not sure where the corporations are on this. My guess is they're afraid to challenge this for political reasons because they don't want to be seen as opposing any of these uh, interest groups here. And they're not even interest groups. These are people who pretend that they're interest groups, the left, when in fact they're just everyday Americans who want to be treated like everyone else, right? Isn't that what we want? that we don't treat you according to the color of your skin, your ethnicity, your sexual preference. We just treat you, you come in, what's your experience? We'll help the company and that should be decision-making as opposed to doing this racial, ethnic and other bean counting that treats human beings like less than human by failing to recognize their individuality and treating them as a member of a group only. It's really morally reprehensible. So we're pursuing that case. So hopefully it gets uh, bound up with the current case against the quota for based on sex. And um, we can uh, uphold the rule of law here. So that's a, that's a, you know, California, we're, we're doing a lot in California, that's for sure. Uh, oh, and before I go, I want to talk about the uh, the personal good news I have, and I guess it's, it's good news for Judicial Watch too, because it, it's 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 a really an affirmation of the value of Judicial Watch's work. Because President Trump announced his intention to appoint me on the D.C. Commission of uh, on Judicial Disabilities and Tenure, and the uh, D.C. Commission on uh, Judicial Disabilities and Tenure is an independent agency established by Congress to review complaints of misconduct against judges on the District of Columbia courts. The commission's authority includes reappointment evaluations sent to the president of associate justices and performance and fitness reviews of senior judges. Now, these are judges that are the equivalent in your, in, let's say you live in a state, 
your either your municipal slash state judge system. In the District of Columbia, we have a kind of more or less three court systems. We've got the federal court system that you uh, many people say, well, Tom Fitton's going to be uh, part of a commission that oversees Judge Sullivan. That's not the case. Judge Sullivan is part of the the district court system, the federal district court system. And then there's the appellate court system that oversees the judges on the district court system. But separately, there's the superior court system and the Court of Appeals of D.C., which is essentially a municipal slash state court system. And it's a significant system because they have tens of thousands of cases. I presume they handle you know, nearly 100 judges, I think, or 65 judges on the bench, at least. So um, it's a it's an important decision. I'm honored by the president's confidence in my ability to uh, do the work. I'll, I'm not quitting my day job. I'll be still president of Judicial Watch. It's a part-time, I think it's on salary uh, position. So, uh, and I'm the only presidential appointment on the commission. So there'll be only, uh, that there are seven other members. I'm not sure if the commission's completely full, but the point is I'm only one vote, but I think an important vote because obviously I bring a very different approach to the rule of law than many others do, and especially in Washington, D.C., and it's a, and I'm going to take it seriously. We got to make sure that the laws are followed, that the standards of ethics are uh, upheld fairly uh, within the judiciary, and um, and so I, I aim to do the job well, and to uh, you know vindicate the president's faith in me because he ain't hiring me to be a a wallflower, right? He's not appointing me to be a wallflower. And you know enough about me, that's not the way I operate. So I'm going to be respectful of the process, respectful of the rules, but ask tough, tough questions. And as I said um, in my statement, I'm honored and humbled by the confidence of the president. This important new responsibility, of course, will be an addition in my work here at Judicial Watch. I look forward to working with my fellow commissioners to maintain, and this is the mission of the commission, public confidence in an independent, impartial, fair, and qualified judiciary, and to enforce the high standards of conduct judges must adhere to both and on and off the bench. Our nation's capital should endeavor to have the best court system in the country. So this is just great. And I'm looking forward to doing it. It's a five-year term. And uh, so I get a point. I presumably will be, he'll follow up with the appointment. He announced his intent to appoint me. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing the work. And uh, but what a credit to obviously I'm personally excited about it. My family's personally excited about, it. you know, we're all excited about it. But um, the president obviously is noticing what Judicial Watch has been doing. So it's also uh, a uh, uh, it shows that he, he values Judicial Watch and we've done work on judicial ethics and, and, and corruption issues for years and years and years. So I'm, I'm glad to bring my experience to Judicial Watch and make it available. Uh, to the American people and the District of Columbia residents specifically, because that court system is is your court system. I mean, it's the nation's capital. That's why the president's involved in the appointment process. So what happens is the judges are recommended by another panel, and then the president generally picks from them, and then they're confirmed by the Senate. So they're there for 15 years, and there's an ethics process if they step out of line that the commission oversees. And then after 15 years, they can seek another 15 year term. And then we, that's where the commission comes in too. They recommend to the president um, if uh, this person should be uh, uh, reappointed. 
in fact, if we think the person should be reappointed, he gets automatically reappointed. And if we think he should get reappointed, the judge doesn't get appointed at all. And the president has the decision if he, you know, then we can actually, there's a choice where we can let the president make the decision. And then once the judge wants to retire, but go to senior status, we evaluate whether that person's capable of doing it. So it's it's an important responsibility. So I mean, these are these are judges who have committed years and years of public ser- to public service, and we want to make sure they're doing their job well and help them do their job well. And if they don't do their job well in terms of ethics or other reasons, this commission is there on behalf of you, the American people, and your nation's capital. So uh, some exciting news there. So. So I haven't been I haven't been appointed director of the FBI. I'm not on the Supreme Court. It's the D.C. Commission on Judicial Disabilities and Tenure, and it's a a, a great appointment by the president. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the heavy lifting in uh, in another position on top of all the heavy lifting we're doing here at Judicial Watch. So I want to thank you for your support. We got a lot going on. Uh, it's just going to get more and more and more uh, uh, intense over the next uh, few weeks. And as I always say, the heavy lifting will intensify. And so we all have to work hard uh, as, as uh, we debate and battle and such uh, in, in the next few weeks. Before I go, we have the, com- uh, the confirmation hearing of uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett next week. You need to be calling your senators at 202-225-3121, 202-225-3121. It's important you let your senators know what you think about her nomination and how quick it needs to go. Do you think it needs to be slowed down? You need to be speeded up. I suggested, and the president tweeted, that they should just skip the hearings. They're not going to do that, but that's my attitude. So if all things if all things work out as planned, she may be up for confirmation vote as soon as um, I think the 26th or the 27th of October. So the hearings will be next week, and then uh, they have a vote, and then it's kicked out to the floor, and then there's you know a period of time, and then they vote. Then they vote. So call your senators, let them know how they how you feel about it. If you like what your senators are doing, say, hey, I like what you're doing. Do more. If you don't like, tell them what you don't like about what they're doing. So I encourage you to uh, be active uh, because the battles will continue uh, for the Constitution and the rule of law. So thank you very much. And I'll see you next week on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update.